Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God had said that he would establish the nation of Israel once again in 1947, excuse me, 48. They became a nation, had not been a nation for 2,000 years. And God said, I will call them from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I will bring them back into the land. In Ezekiel, he prophesies to the mountains of Ezekiel, and he says, prepare yourself and get yourself ready, for my people are about to come. It shouldn't surprise us that many today scoff the return of Jesus. And also, sadly enough, many of those scoffers are Christians from within the church. Peter tells us in today's passage out of 2 Peter 3 that many are not expecting or waiting for God's judgment because they have simply forgotten or lost all faith and belief in the promises of God and His Word. With more on those promises that we all wait for, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, with 2 Peter 3, 1 through 11. So Peter introduces the third chapter of 2 Peter with the word beloved, which he uses it as a sense that we are beloved by God. It's just kind of a reminder that you guys are loved. He's, chapter two, been very intense and very direct and has, by the following of the Holy Spirit, really come against false teachers in the chapter. And now he turns and almost softens a little bit. Beloved, just now addressing those that, that the letter is written to, he says, I now write to you this second epistle. Obvious that the first epistle is the first reference, but he writes this second epistle, and theologians believe that it wasn't long after he wrote the first, first Peter that he wrote second Peter, that just a little bit of time had passed. And then he kind of got really fired up and thought, I need to write this. He says, I write to you the second epistle, with both of which I stir up your pure minds by a way of reminder. Now, we've heard that before from Peter. He's simply saying, I'm bringing you stuff that is a reminder to you. These are things that you already know, and I'm bringing you what you've already know and what you've already heard. Again, the importance of you and I understanding that if anybody brings to you anything different other than what you've already heard, Galatians chapter 1, then let them be accursed. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new, many have said. And so uh, we want to stick within the truth and be reminded. And then he says in verse 2 that you may be mindful. He says, I'm reminding you that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. That would be the Old Testament. Be mindful of the writings of the prophets. Now, when we think specifically of the prophets, the Old Testament broken down into just, let's just say, three major categories. You've got the Pentateuch, which are the writings of Moses. Moses is considered to be a prophet, so technically those would, be, those would come from a prophet. You have the books of wisdom, which would be considered to be Psalms, Proverbs, um, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, would be another group. And then the final group would be the prophets. If he's just making reference, not to the Pentateuch, and not to the wisdom books, but if he's just making reference to the prophets, then we've got people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, Hosea, Obadiah. We've got these prophets that mainly talk about the return of the Lord. 
When you go back and you look at the topic of those minor prophets, even the major prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah were talking about, so much of it is dedicated to the end of the world and the return of the Lord. So when he says, I want you to be mindful of what the prophets of old wrote, then we're reminded that it's full of the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom upon the earth and what he's going to do from there throughout eternity. That's exactly where Peter goes. This is what he has in mind. He says, be mindful of those things. And then he brings the New Testament up to the level of the Old Testament. He says in verse two again, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The writings of the apostles. God not only called the apostles to start the early church, which they did by the power of the Holy Spirit, they did it effectively. Within their lifetime, the gospel was brought around the known world and just continued to spread from there. Each one of them went out into different places. But God raised them up to write the New Testament as well, the apostles. And even Paul, who wasn't one of the 12, but who eh, I believe was a replacement for the 12. There's a guy by the name of Matthias who was voted in to replace Judas, but we never read about him again. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe I'm wrong about it. Some people want to fight about it. I don't want to fight. I just think, okay, I just think this is, it's, it's Paul. Um, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament, which is kind of interesting that a guy that wasn't even one of the original 12, God calls to show him all of the things that he's going to suffer for them. And he writes most of the New Testament. And so Peter takes the writings of the apostles and he puts them up there to scripture. How is it that we believe that the New Testament is scripture that actually comes from God? Because the New Testament tells us that it does. And some might see that as a problem. It is self-acclaiming that it is the gospel. But we believe that the New Testament is the fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Testament writings through the apostles is the fulfillment what God had in mind in bringing the Messiah along. And in Psalms chapter 12, it says that God would be faithful to preserve his word from generation to generation to generation. And we believe that God has done that. And the spectacular aspects are the wonderful aspects of scripture and the fulfillment of prophecy and them being able to stand solidly the test of time. I believe that we can trust not only in what the prophets have said, but also in the, the New Testament, the manuscripts that we have received, which are so many of them. There's 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. That is unprecedented in ancient writings, absolutely unprecedented in ancient writings. And we can, we can trust in that. Now it goes on to say in verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So he tells us something that's gonna happen in the last days. And this is that scoffers are going to arise and they're gonna be walking in their own lusts. What they're going to scoff, we'll learn here momentarily, is the return of the Lord. People will ask me from time to time, how do you know we're in the last days? I believe that we're in the last days because the Bible says in Daniel chapter 12 that in the last days, knowledge will increase and men will go back and forth upon the earth. The sheer number of people in the air traveling around the world, even as we talk now, is amazing. Technology and it's increasing and continuing to increase is amazing. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I believe it. Another reason that I believe it is because of the nation of Israel. 
God had said that he would establish the nation of Israel once again in 1947, excuse me, 48. They became a nation, had not been a nation for 2,000 years. And God said, I will call them from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I will bring them back into the land. In Ezekiel, he prophesies to the mountains of Ezekiel, and he says, prepare yourself and get yourself ready for my people are about to come. And he calls them back into Israel. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. There, there's a time coming when the time of the Gentiles will be done. When the, the last Gentile will get saved, who is going to get saved. And that will be completed. And Jerusalem is set up for that. Jerusalem was under control of Gentiles for 18, 1900 years, even a little bit more. And now it's set up to be in complete control by the Jewish people, even as Jesus said that it would be. There's that little spot on top of the Temple Mount that uh, still is not under Israeli control. In 1973, it was for a short time. And then they gave it back. As a peace offering, they gave it back. It was like God said, listen up, folks. Jerusalem's now in Israel's hands since the first time since 66 AD. And it was as if he was saying in 73, pay attention, we're, we're close. And how fast do things change, by the way? I don't watch the news daily. I just kind of get depressed when I do. So I don't watch it daily, but I check in on it every once in a while. And I was checking in on it today and I was seeing the ISIS stuff and just some of the other stuff that's going on. And I thought, how much has the news changed in two years? If you somehow dropped off the face of the earth two years ago and you came back and turned on the news today, you would go, what's going on? How can these people have taken over Iraq and Syria when just a couple of years ago, everything seemed to be so under control in both of those places? And to see it so out of control today, you'd be thinking the end is coming because look at how fast everything is changing. And boy, they are changing at a really fast pace. But not only that, every time someone scoffs, every time someone says, you believe that Jesus is coming back again, you're looking to the skies and you expect them to part and you think Jesus is going to return in all of his glory. Every time they make fun of us, they themselves are fulfilling prophecy that we are in the last days. It's what it just said. Verse three, in the last days, scoffers are going to arise saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now we'll get to that in a moment, but it says it's because of their own lust that they scoff. They might not even know what their motive is. But the Holy Spirit through Peter here reveals the motives of those who are scoffers of the return of Jesus. And that is, they're living in the flesh. They're living for here. They're living for now. If Jesus were to come back right now, would you think, oh, there's some things I really wanted to do before Jesus came back. Now, I think in reality, you know, there are certain things that we look forward to and, uh, but we ought to be living for Christ and realize that at the moment that he appears, we're going to become who we have been called to become. And we ought to be living wholeheartedly for him, longing for the day of the Lord, looking for the day of the Lord, keeping our eyes on the skies. When Jesus talked about 
wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and ragings of the sea in various places. He said, when you see these things start to take place, look up for your redemption draws nigh. He said in John 14, I'm going away. And if I'm going away, I will prepare a place for you and I will come again and I will receive you back to where I am. That's a tremendous promise of the return of Christ for his church. Not just the return of Jesus to end everything upon the earth and to establish the kingdom as Daniel chapter seven says that the son of man will do, but him to come and get the church. I'm not surprised that there are scoffers, but I am often surprised at where the scoffers come from. I'm not surprised that people in the world think we're nuts. People in the world look at us and go, you believe in the rapture of the church? You believe, what are you going to do, shoot out through the ceiling and all your clothes stay there? Better keep your underwear clean. <laughs> you know, you really believe in that? And they'll laugh and they'll mock. And then a couple minutes later, they'll say, well, I realize that uh, life is so complex that we probably were seeded by aliens. And they'll believe in aliens because they're trying to make evolution fit within the time frame that the, of the earth being here and what they see in their doctrine of consistency. Everything's been going on the same as it has been from the very beginning. And they look at it and go, well, things aren't changing fast enough for the earth to evolve for us to get to where we are. So then they'll believe in aliens. They don't have any problem with that. Now, I'm not surprised about that mocking. I'm not surprised that the world mocks us in that way, but it comes from within the church as well. And that's growing. There's a number of people in the church who make fun of us for having our hope in the return of Jesus. There are blogs that are written about it. I have several blogs I read each week and one of them here recently, once again, went on a little tirade against the churches that believe in the rapture. And again, I thought, mockers in the last days, mockers will arise and perhaps not even realizing that they are fulfilling one of the last day's prophecies of mockers arising. We want to set our eyes on the things that are above and not let the world shake us. If we take our cues from this world and the culture that we live in, then we will live one way. But if we take our cues from God and from what he says is going to happen, then we will live an entirely different way and if we take our cues from God, then we're going to find ourselves delivered in that last day. The Bible says that the last days will be like the days of Noah. They were violent days. We're living in violent days. But also it says they were marrying and given in marriage. In other words, people are making their plans. We think of the end of the world coming when it's all like apocalyptical, when it's Mad Max kind of stuff. That's the end of the world. That's when it's going to happen. Look around us. Everybody's planning. They're moving. They're going to and fro. That's exactly what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. On the day that he comes back for us, everything will be going on. There are just these birth pains that are taking place that are, are revealing to us signs as if God is saying, listen up, listen up, tell me. In order for you to be persuaded that the end of the world was going to come with the fulfillment of the nation of Israel, with all of the stuff that's going around the world today, Ebola and wars and, you know, just all the things that are happening, what would it take to make you believe that Jesus could come back at any moment? If this doesn't persuade you, if all of these things happening in the world today 
and you go, no, I don't think Jesus is coming back soon, then I don't know. I don't know what it would take. I take an appearance of God himself. Hey, get ready. I'm coming back. He gave us the signs and the signs are happening now. And we are like a frog in a kettle of water. It's being heated up around us. And we're just like, no, no, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. And so he says, in the last days, scoffers are going to arise. And I connect these scoffers here that are driven by their own lust. I connect these scoffers here to the false teachers of chapter two, because I think we need to. Context is everything when you're studying the Bible. You want to know what goes before it. You want to know what goes after it. You want to know who he's writing to, what he's writing about. And understanding that when he says scoffers are going to arise, there are false teachers. How many false teachers have arisen? How many cults have arisen out of last days kinds of teachings? So we need to make sure as we're studying the last days that we also approach the word of God and get our doctrine from what the Bible says and what the Bible means when it says it. Not what is the opinion of certain people or, or what might be somebody saying, I had a vision. God showed me what's going to happen. But coming back to what the scriptures say and trusting in them. So he says that they are walking according to their own lusts because they don't want the world to come to an end because this is their home. They are earth dwellers. Verse four, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is he at? I remember as a kid, people telling me that Jesus is coming back. 14 years old, so it would have been 19, the New Year's Eve in 1974. We had uh, just gotten saved, hadn't been saved too long. And uh, me and a couple other friends had played with a Ouija board. And we'd asked the Ouija board when Jesus was coming back. And it told us 1974. <laughs> Later on, we got rid of the Ouija board, but <laughs> we were really new Christians. <laughs> and uh, so we thought, Jesus is coming back in 1974. And there was a lot of chatter going on in various places about the return of the Lord in 1974. So, so on New Year's Eve, we went, and went over to a friend's house. We all laid out on the lawn and we were watching. Jesus is going to come back before 1975. You know what? The Ouija board was wrong. <laughs> I had my first point of disappointment about the return of the Lord. And I've had a few of those since then. I remember Pastor Chuck who is, when it comes to prophecy, was just one of the very best at being able to point to prophecies and understanding them and seeing them. And I remember he put out a, a program called uh, Survival 2000. Did you guys ever see that show? It's a great show. It documents the birth of the nation of Israel and it documents the war, the 67 war of Israel and the 73 war of Israel. But the whole title of the thing is, Will the Earth Survive Till 2000? I remember, and it's been, it was a big controversy with Pastor Chuck too, that he said at one point, if the Lord doesn't come back before 1985, I'll be surprised. And people are like, well, then Jesus is coming back before 1985. But Jesus didn't come back in 1985. And you know what the truth was there? Chuck was surprised. <laughs> but that's all that statement means. He didn't say the Lord is coming back before 1985. He said, if the Lord doesn't come back by 1985, then I will be surprised. The truth is, when we say we're living in the last days, we mean Jesus could come back at any moment and we've got these signs going on. With God, it might be, it might be tomorrow. It might be 50 years. It might be 100 years. 
It might be that we're grooming the generation that will be there when Christ returns. Who knows? Who knows what our actual place is? But we still can't ignore the promise of his coming. And Jesus saying, be ready and stay ready because you do not know when I'm coming back. Which is, by the way, you talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and a lot of that's fallen by the wayside. A lot of people aren't all that concerned about it anymore. But if you believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, if you believe he could come back right now, then your theology is pre-trib because we're not in the tribulation now. So you believe that he could come back at any moment. And you kind of got to be, you got to be pre-trib to some degree. Otherwise you're going, well, we got to have the, the beginning of the tribulation period. We have to have the revelation of the Antichrist before we can have Jesus come back in the middle and certainly before the end. And so if you're looking for the Antichrist, then when all of these things begin to take place, then we need to identify the Antichrist. That's why I've never worried about trying to figure out, is the Antichrist Henry Kissinger? That's the first one I heard, by the way. Is the Antichrist, you know, Ronald Reagan, some people said, and, and on and on. I don't think that we know who the Antichrist is. I think we'll be gone before the Antichrist is ever revealed because it doesn't say when you see these things start taking place, then look around you, figure out who the Antichrist is. It says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And uh, so their mocking is coming saying, where is the promise of return, his return? Because we've gone on for so long. And there's been a lot of pastors over a lot of time saying, Jesus is coming back. Get ready, get ready. And we should. We should say, get ready and stay ready. It ought to be something for you. It ought to be something that you look forward to. It ought to be something that means something to you and causes purity in your life and, and, and a hope for the future. And we ought to comfort one another with the, the idea that Jesus is coming back for us. You know, if you're in a season where life is really good for you right now, then the hope of his return, you might go, well, I don't know. I mean, things are pretty good right now. But there's some of you guys here right now that you'd say, I'm ready for him to come back. Life is, is tough. And I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Solomon said, the longer a guy lives, the more evil he sees. With many days comes much evil. And there's a certain point where you just say, come now, Jesus, come back quickly. And may that be the cry of our heart. Even if we're in a good season in our life or a tough season in our lives, may that truly be the cry of our heart. He goes on to say that they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as from the beginning of creation. And by the way, the Bible says that from the beginning to the end, the sun will rise and the sun will set. The, the Old Testament tells us that there's going to be a continuation of things, but we have a tendency to see things the way they are and to make decisions based upon what's happened in the past, not realizing that one day everything will radically change. It says in verse five, for they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that existed perished being flooded with water. So he's talking about the flood. And it's interesting that he says, by which they willfully forget. I think that there's a willful movement to do away with the proof for the flood. But there, there are flood stories in every single culture. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. 
and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.